0: Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Assistant Pastor Darrell Logan. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. Father, we thank you for your Word. Thank you for your Spirit. Thank you, Lord, for allowing us to gather and to learn more about you to learn more about your heart, Lord. And Lord, we desire to grow. We desire to become more like Christ in our thoughts, words, and actions. And so, Lord, we do want to be receptive of your word. And uh, we do pray that, that you'll mold us and shape us to the image of Jesus and equip us for your work for this upcoming week. And I do personally pray for the gift of teaching, that, Lord, you'll help me to rightly divide your word of truth And we do pray for a timely word that you would give us a word in season, something that we need right now. We love you, Lord. We thank you. We give you praise in Jesus's name. Amen. 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 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 26 through 31. And the title of the study is New Territory. New Territory. So by way of reminder... Uh, Back in 2 Samuel chapter 10, the Israelites fought and they defeated these people called the Ammonites. And these Ammonites, they had retreated in chapter 10 into their city, which was probably Rabbah. And in chapter 11, in the spring of that year, the scriptures tell us that the Israelites went to war with these same Ammonites and they attacked that city. Once again, Rabbah. And so in tonight's study in 2 Samuel 12, uh, verses 26 through 31, we're going to see a continuation and outcome of this war. Now, at the same time, because we're not just doing a study on history, we're not just trying to remember what's in the book. What we're trying to do is pick up some spiritual truths that I call spiritual nuggets that, of course, are going to help us to grow in Christ and that's going to help us to be all that he wants us to be in him and and things that are going to help us to do all that he wants us to do. And so, of course, we want to be equipped for the work of the ministry while at the same time growing in our lives personally, becoming like the old us and becoming like the new us in Christ Jesus by practice. And so we want to look at verse 26. In verse 26, it says, Now, Joab fought against Rabbah of the people of Ammon, and he took the royal city. And the royal city could be um, royal fortifications, royal fortress, or a stronghold. And so I do have a map of Rabbah there. Uh, But this is that same Joab who was one of the nephews of King David. So one of the nephews of King David, remember this guy, Joab. Now, now he was in charge of the army during King David's time as king of Israel. And Joab, if you remember earlier in the studies, he had actually done some shady things. You know, he has some good qualities about him, but he's done some shady things. For example, he murdered Abner out of revenge because he killed one of his brothers and one of his brothers just kept chasing Abner and Abner was pretty much telling him to stop I don't want to fight you and he kept coming and so Abner killed uh, Joab's brother or one of his brothers in self-defense and Joab of course never got over it and he acted like he was going to have a conversation with Abner and he killed him he murdered the man and so he's done some shady things but like I said he has some good qualities here and there, but you're going to see that. But, but this guy, Joab, David's nephew, he also played a part at David's instruction in having Uriah killed. Now, if you don't remember, Uriah was Bathsheba's husband. And Bathsheba, of course, uh, was the woman that David, King David, had an adultery, adulterous relationship with. And so David wanted him killed sent a letter to Joab. Joab put him at the forefront of the battle where the hottest part of the battle was and, and he got killed. And so he's done some shady things. And so, so far in our studies in second Samuel, uh, most, of, most of the time we see Joab um, in this story is when he's involved in some type of war or battle. And of course those battles are usually against the enemies of Israel and so, as I mentioned before, of course, there's some shady things about Joab. But, but there's something I want to pick out, something positive I wanted to pick out from Joab. Because he's always, when we see him, most of the time, so far, fighting against the enemies of Israel. What I picked from this is that we need more Christians who are going to go to bat or battle, if you will, on behalf of those who are voiceless. Who are going to go to bat for example, for those who are unaware of dangers. And so that's why we share certain examples and certain things that are going on in the world with the saints. Uh, because we know that some of this stuff that's going on could be confusing, expensive especially when people who are in a high rank position or, or somebody who's always on TV or in a bunch of movies or made a lot of songs, they're famous, especially when they're touching on things of theology. Uh, a lot of people can get confused, whether they're younger Christians by age or younger Christians just by spiritual maturity. And so we need to go to bat as believer on behalf of those who are voiceless, those who are unaware of the dangers of, uh, of certain uh, false theologies. Some people don't even know that they're in danger. They may be doing some things they don't even know. Participating in things, supporting things that they don't even know are dangerous to their spiritual well-being. Oh, we, need no more. we need some more Christians who will step up and go to bat on behalf of the next generation. And so, yes, we, we must be faithful to the word of God. We must be faithful and going to bat from uh, the position of our knees. In other words, in prayer. And, and when something is shared in this false information, yes, yeah, speak up, clarify it. That, that's our, this is our arena. When they touch on spiritual things and it's false here, this is our job to clear it up. We have the truth. It's not, the world doesn't have it. The world system, the scripture says, is is under the sway, the influence of the devil. That's why he's sometimes called the prince of this world, the ruler of this world, influences this world system. And Jesus says that he's the father of lies and he lies because it's of his own resources. In other words, that's part of his nature. That's part of the enemy's nature. So what do you think you're going to get from the world, from the world system? And so are we going to step in and go to bat on behalf of those who are maybe ignorant of what the truth is? I would say that's that's one quality we need to take from Joab. Because remember, he's always going to bat for the people of Israel. Now, in verse 27, it says in Joab, he sent messengers to David and he said, I have fought against Rabbah and I have taken the city's water supply. Now, therefore, gather the rest of the people, gather the rest of the troops together and and encamp against the city and take it. Lest I take the city and it be called after my name or named after me. So encamp against it. In other words, surround this city and attack it. And so at this point, Joab was in the position to give the final blow to these Ammonites in the city of Rabbah. He was in that. He was in a great position because in taking control of their water supply, he he took away something that they needed. You know, we all need water to live. And if they don't have water, then, of course, the, the Ammonites won't be able to fight. They'll be in a weakened state. And so he took away something that the enemy of Israel needed. You see, that's something that I would encourage you to do as a believer. And I will remind myself to do as a believer. That, that is to take away something that the enemy feeds on. And so, for example, our flesh, our sin nature or sinful nature, however you want to word it, that's the that's enemy against us. Our, our sinful nature, it, it works against us. Because the Holy Spirit who indwells us, he has desires that are different from our desires than our sinful desires. And so we want to take away what one of our enemies needed. And one of those enemies, of course, is our flesh, that sin nature. Cut off, in other words, what it needs to survive. In fact, in Galatians chapter 6, verses verses 7 and 8, it says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. In other words, God will not allow himself to be ridiculed. Or another way of saying it is you can't make a fool of God. For whatever a man sows or plants that will he also reap or harvest. For he who sows to his flesh, his sin nature or his sinful capacity. Will of the flesh reap reap corruption. So nothing good will come out of sowing to the flesh, to the sin nature. Nothing good will come out of giving our sin nature what it wants. Cut off the water supply, in other words. But he who sows to the Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. So sow so to those things that the Spirit agrees with, that the, Spirit, the Holy Spirit loves, For example, the Holy Spirit will love for us to immerse ourselves in the word of God, to to feed our souls with the word of God. Even Jesus told his disciples that the Holy Spirit will bring his word to their remembrance, but what is he going to bring to their remembrance or our remembrance if it's not fair? And so we sow into the Spirit. But also the scriptures tell us in Romans chapter 8, verses 13 and 14. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. See that? So an unbeliever who only has the sin nature and not a new nature because they're not born again. Therefore, they don't have the Holy Spirit. So an unbeliever in that position, all they can do is live. According to their sin nature, Uh, all they can do is give in to their sinful desires. That's going to be the pattern of their lives. That's going to be the pattern of the way they live. Sinful feeding the flesh. And if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But it is by the spirit, the Holy Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body. It's by the Holy Spirit. That we cut off, in other words, the water supply. Stop giving it what it needs. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons or children of God. And the Scriptures are, is, is, is plain. Romans chapter 8 verse 9 tells you that if you don't have the Spirit of Christ, then you don't belong to him. So every believer has the Spirit of Christ or the Holy Spirit dwelling him or her. Every believer or as many as are led by the spirit of God, these are the children of God. And so you have a, a, a great resource to help you and to help me to not live according to the flesh. And so that's enemy number one, the flesh. You want to cut off that water supply, but but also you want to shut the door on the devil, our, of course our spiritual enemy, Lucifer, Satan, the devil. You see, You want to shut the door on him because you don't want to allow him to enter a situation and have more influence. Well, well, how can the enemy, how could the devil, how can demons gain more influence in a person's life, in a person's situation? See that through drug abuse, through alcohol abuse, you see through drug abuse and alcohol abuse, your guard is down. You're not sober. You're not not thinking straight. And so demons, the devil, they will take advantage of you in your poor condition, your non-sober condition. So you want to shut the door on the enemy by not giving in to those things. The Lord knows what's good for us. He knows what's not good for us. That's why the Bible speaks against drunkenness. And, and by the way, if you're wondering, I do not believe that a born again believers, true believers can be demon possessed. The scriptures do not teach that. However, we can be oppressed. There's a difference. And, and, and one simple way I can think of to explain oppression is just think of being bullied by the enemy. Just think of it that way, but, but they won't dwell inside of a true believer because to say that a, a, a demon can indwell or possess a true believer. That means that the demon is stronger than the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit dwells with us forever. Jesus said that that, that won't happen, but they can oppress us. And so, so don't allow them to enter into your situation or give them the key of, oppressing, of oppression to oppress you uh, through these types of things. Drug abuse, alcohol abuse. Guess what? Even anger. That's why we ought not to let the sun go down on our wrath. And instead of going to bed angry and allowing that bitterness and hatred to, to just well up. Instead of doing that, resolve the issue quickly because the enemy, he's going to take advantage of it. Because as long as we stay in that position of, of anger, then those, the enemy is still going to start he's going to start throwing out suggestions or maybe you should do this to that person. You don't have to accept the suggestion, but it becomes more appealing to you. The longer you allow that anger, the fester. Now, I don't know who I'm talking to, but I'll move on. Now, another thing about Joab that I want to point out, point out and it's in verse 28. Notice that Joab wanted David, King David, to gather the rest of the people. Gather the rest of the people, that is the troops, the army, and, and come and attack the city. Why don't you come, David, and finish them off? I'm in a position to finish them off. And if I did, David, then that city is going to be named after me. But Joab was like, no, I want you to come and finish off the city, finish off Rabbah these Ammonites that are in this city because I would rather for you to name this city. I'd rather for you, the King of Israel that God put in place to be the victorious one. In other words, I I would rather for you King David, the King of Israel to get the glory for this. I'd rather for you to get the credit for this. And some of you already know where I'm going with this. And where I'm going with this is that this is the attitude we should have towards our king. That that I want you, Lord, our king of kings, I want you, Jesus, to get the glory for this. Yes, people hear my voice. People may see your face as you do something kind for them, as you be a blessing to them. They they see your face. They see your hands go to work as you change their tires, their flat tires. Or they see your feet moving as you go to their house and, and you knock on their door and you take that grocery bag to them. They see your feet moving. They, they take it out of your hands. They, they hear your voice. They see your face. But, but make sure that they know that, that God gets the glory. That your king gets the glory for every single accomplishment see in verse 29 and in verse 30 it says so david gathered all the people he gathered all the army together and he went to Rabbah. he fought against it and he took it then he took their king's crown from his head and its weight was a talent of gold hey there's some translations and commentators that say it was about 75 pounds this crown of gold, 75 pounds and it had precious stones in it. And, and this is crazy. And it was set on David's head. So if the crown actually weighed 75 pounds, wow, that, that's heavier than the football helmet. But it, it must have been primarily used as more of a decorative symbol of power. He, he couldn't have walked around with that thing. He, I mean, I could imagine he had that on his head. He would have done a front flip or something or be doing a, a headstand. But, but it's probably placed on there maybe temporarily just to show symbolically like, okay, he, you know, he's the victor here. He, he's the winner. He owns this place now. Maybe it was done symbolically just for maybe a few seconds. I don't know, minute tops. I, I don't know what the case is. But, but if that's the case, 75 pounds, wow. But it says also he brought out the spoil of the city in great abundance. And so, yes, he wore this defeated king of Ammon's crown. He wore it. We don't know how long, but it said it was on his head. This conquering king. That's who David was at this point, the conquering king. And so now this Ammonite uh, royal city of Rabbah was now under King David's authority. Or at any time I read about King David, we can't help but think of our greater than David, Jesus Christ. And I just can't wait to our greater than David, Jesus Christ, the Messiah comes invisibly take control of the earth and sets up his kingdom yes, there's, you know, voting season and all this. We have different rulers and various positions around the globe, around this country. And we, and we see that government run by humans is never going to be perfect. It's not perfect. We know that. That's why I said, I can't wait. To our greater than David comes and visibly set up his kingdom on this earth. And so I want to take you on a little trip real quick in in the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 7. And here you're going to see a prophecy. It's in Daniel chapter 7, verse 1. It says, in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head while on his bed. Then he wrote down the dream, telling the main facts. And so Belshazzar was uh, Nebuchadnezzar's descendant. And he's the king of Babylon at this point. And Daniel spoke saying, I saw in my vision by night and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And some commentators say this referred to the Mediterranean Sea. And some believe that this is probably maybe the sea of humanity. But. If you notice in verse three, it says that there were four great beasts that came up from the sea, each different from the other. And so to give you a heads up, these four great beasts are four world empires. And then we're going to see them in order, just as it happened in history. But at that point that it was written, it was still prophecy. And some of it, by the way, is still prophecy. See, in verse four, it says the first was like a lion and had an eagle's wings and had eagle's wings. And I watched till his wings were plucked off and it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand on two feet like a man and a man's heart was given to it. And so that that the first beast like a lion, that's the Babylonian empire. Remember Nebuchadnezzar, he, he was the leader of that empire. And so you even see a reference, maybe it's a Nebuchadnezzar when it talks about made to stand on his on two feet like a man and the man's heart given to it. Because remember, at some point, uh, Nebuchadnezzar was converted. And then there was another beast. And this is all future from the point it was written. Still, it was prophecy. And, and suddenly another beast, a second like a bear. And was raised up on one side and had three ribs in his mouth between his teeth. And they said, thus too it arise, devour much flesh. And so now you have the Medo-Persian empire. That's going to come after the Babylonian empire. And and notice that this bear that represented the Medo-Persian empire, notice that it was raised up on one side. And it was raised up on one side because uh, under Cyrus uh, the, the Persians were more prominent during that point. That's why I was raised up on one side. But, but after this, I looked in verse 6, and there was another like a leopard, which had on its back four wings like a bird. The beast also had four heads, and dominion was given to it. And so this speaks of the Grecian empire. The the Greek empire, in other words, led by Alexander the Great. And notice that when you think of a leopard, you think of something fast, something swift, even with the wings. And so Alexander the Great was quick in conquering the world, the known world during that time. But then that beast, that same beast in verse six also had four heads. And that's because after Alexander the Great died, what happened was his kingdom was split. The empire was split between four of his generals. And so it was future. It was prophecy then, right? But we look back at it as history, but the word of God is so accurate. But then number seven or verse seven, after this, I saw in the night visions and behold a fourth beast dreadful and terrible exceedingly strong it had huge iron teeth it was devouring breaking in pieces and trampling the residue with its feet it was different from all the beasts that were before it and it had 10 horns okay so this fourth beast here is the roman empire this was the these were the the same roman empire or the same roman empire that was in charge during the time when jesus came in his first coming and so that original Roman empire is gone now. We see that in history, but then there's a future Roman empire that's going to come. And that's where that 10 horns come into play. It's, it's the revived Roman empire. That's under 10 leaders. And so that's yet future. That's going to be during the tribulation period yet future. And we're close to that time. But listen to this. I was considering the horns, those 10 horns, those 10 leaders over that revived Roman empire. And there was another horn, a little one coming up among them before whom Three of the first horns were plucked out by the roots. And there in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking pompous words. That's the antichrist. He's going to rise up and he's going to become the leader of this revived Roman Empire. And he's speaking arrogant or boastful words. And by the way, this, this antichrist, he's going to be actually possessed by Satan. And it's going to be a false trinity. It's going to be a false trinity. You can read Revelation chapter 13, false trinity. Where, where Satan tries to mimic God the Father and this Antichrist who is in place of Christ tries to mimic the Son, Jesus. And then you have a false prophet, another beast, that points people attention to worship this Antichrist. He's going to be speaking pompous words. And I just love this part that's coming up in verse 9. He says, I watched till thrones were put in place. And the ancient of days was seated. That's God, the father. His garment was white as snow and his in the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame. It's wheels, a burning fly, fire. And some of you are saying, well, wait a minute. That kind of sounds like Jesus in Revelation. But how do I know this is the father? We'll see in verse 13. And then it says a fiery stream issued. And came forth before him. So it was a river of fire came from before him, and a thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him, and the court was seated. Here is the righteous judge, seated and the books were open. And Daniel says in this vision, I watched then because of the sound of the pompous words, which the horn was speaking, this Antichrist was speaking. So he watched. He says, I watched till this beast was slain and its body destroyed and given to the burning flame. He's going to be cast into that lake of fire you see in Revelation. In verse 12, as for the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. Okay, so this is how I know in verse 13 that the Ancient of Days is the Father. And Ancient of Days just mean that that pretty much God is the eternal one, the everlasting one. He has no beginning. And he says here in verse 13, I was watching in the night visions and behold, one like the son of man. Now that's Jesus coming with the clouds of heaven. And he came to the ancient of days, the father, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. Can we all say amen? Amen. I don't think we need to expound on that, but I will turn to uh, Revelation chapter 19. So you'll see something else. Revelation 19, verse 11. And remember, we're using uh, David's situation where that crown was on his head. Remember, we're piggybacking off of that. If you've forgotten about that, we're piggybacking off of this victorious King David with this crown just taking over. And now we're talking about the greater than David. We're talking about David's descendant according to Jesus' humanity. In Revelation 19, verse 11, it says, Now, I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. So now the tribulation is past. The, remember the pompous words of that little horn, the Antichrist? He's been dealt with. At the second coming of Christ, he's cast into the lake of fire. Him and that false prophet in the lake of fire. They're in Gehenna at this point. You know, and and so um, at the point that we saw in, you know, back in Daniel. But in Revelation, he's not there yet. But we'll get there. Now I saw heaven... Open and behold a white horse and he who sat on him was called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns just have one crown. He had many crowns. These are diadems. These are royal crowns. And he had a name written that no one knew except himself. And he was clothed with the robe dipped in blood and his name is called the word of God. You know, check out when you have time, Isaiah 63 verses one through six, you're going to connect the dots. Uh, Just speaking of that blood that he has on his robe. Again, that's Isaiah 63 verses one through six to connect that with um, verse 13. And in verse 14, it says, and the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed Jesus on white horses. That's you. That's me. These are the saints. These are angels coming back with him after the tribulation period. We're coming back with him to the earth. Jude 14 also talks about it. It says, behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints. And so we see that. And so we'll be there coming back with him. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations and he himself will rule them with the rod of iron. So there's going to be an enforced righteousness during that millennial kingdom of Christ. When he reigns, it's going to be an enforced righteousness. That's what it means by there's, he's going to rule with the rod of iron. And, And by the way, we're going to help him rule. We're going to rule and reign with him. We're going to have responsibilities. And when we come back with him, by the way, we're going to have glorified bodies. Why? Because The rapture will have taken place before the tribulation period, which is a seven-year period. And then afterwards, this is us. This is him. Brings us with him. And he himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You know, our greater than David, Jesus Christ, our Messiah, our Savior, has many crowns. He doesn't have one or two of them. No, he has many. And so after that, of course, if we were to keep reading, then we would see in Revelation what we already saw in Daniel. Because in Daniel, remember I said that that Antichrist was cast into the lake of fire. Where, well, if you keep reading in Revelation 19, you're going to see that happen. And so I would encourage you, if you ever want to do a study in Revelation, to, to read Daniel first. Read the book of Daniel first. They go together. Daniel, Revelation, go together. So I want to throw that out there. But, but he has many crowns to show that he's truly king of all kings. And he's truly Lord of our lords. Oh, and like I said earlier, I just can't wait to our king comes for us first of all in the rapture and then when we come back with him and rule and reign on this earth with him because everything you're longing for everything you're wishing for i, I talked to a young man the other day he wants worldwide peace well that's not going to happen with, under human leadership but it, but it's going to happen when jesus reigns on this earth for a thousand years during that millennial kingdom Well, some people want worldwide righteousness, but well, it's going to be there during that time. It's going to be there. You, you want to see people get along like, like never before. That's, that's going to happen during that time. Oh, those of you who are afraid of dogs, you're afraid, you're tired of getting chased by dogs in your neighborhood. That's not going to happen during the millennial kingdom. Humans and animals, they're going to get along. Animal versus animals are going to get along. In verse 31, it says, and he brought out the people who were in it and put them to work with saws and iron picks and iron axes and made them to cross over to the brickworks or brick making. So he did to all the cities of the people of Ammon. Then David and all the people returned to Jerusalem. Now, if Joab had not sent word to David to get involved in this battle and take the city of Rabbah, David would not have been credited with taking this new territory. This new territory called Rabbah, one of the main cities of the Ammonites during that time. You see, in many of us like David, maybe right now or at least maybe in the past, As believers, maybe we have been passive as well. Maybe we too have been indifferent or too comfortable of where we are in our Christian walk. And maybe we've been missing out on quote unquote new territory in our lives. And this new territory that I speak of is, of course, available in none other than Jesus Christ. And so spiritually speaking, there's new territory that we could be enjoying, but we're not experiencing it because like David was at the beginning of the study, we've been hanging back. We've been a little too passive in our walk. We've been a little too indifferent in our walk. We've been a little too comfortable with where we are right now in our walk. Well, I'm not the same person that I was two years ago. And so I'm okay where I am now. I'm not the same person I was 20 years ago. So, so I guess that's, progress, I can stop growing now. I don't have to go to church anymore. I I guess I know more than than everybody. I I don't need that anymore. Church is good for you, but but, but that's okay. I'm going to just stay home and and I'm just going to read my Bible to myself, by myself, because everybody else is wrong. Be careful. That's how cults start. That's how cults start. You see, as I talk about this new spiritual territory, of course, I'm talking in spiritual terms. As I talk about that, I'm talking about the blessings and I'm talking about the privileges that we have in Christ that we are not experiencing, that we are not enjoying as believers. For example, just just knowing God better. There's there's one thing to know about God to know some of his attributes. Yes. Yes. God is love. Yes. God is gracious and God is merciful, but, but it's another thing to know him by experience. And so to know him intellectually, that he's a gracious God, that he's a merciful God is, that's good, but that's different from knowing him by experience. Lord, I've personally experienced your mercy. I've personally experienced your grace. I've personally experienced your your healing. I've, I've personally experienced your victory upon victory. I want to know you better by experience. And so that's a blessing and privilege that Some of us miss out on just knowing God better because we become too complacent or we've been hanging back a little too long like David. And and we need another believer to say, hey, come and join the battle and and come and enjoy all of these privileges that we have in Christ. Uh, But then there's the blessing and privilege of spiritual growth that is becoming more like Jesus, more like Christ. And of course, that would include the fruit of the spirit displaying the fruit of the spirit is a is a sign of spiritual growth you know in galatians chapter five verses 22 and 23 we're familiar with these verses it says but the fruit of the spirit is love and is joy and joy by the way is gladness that is not based on circumstances doesn't waver based on your situation the fruit of the spirit is peace and notice that the word fruit is singular. It's not plural. There's no S at the end. But peace. And peace is that freedom from worry, disturbance, freedom from oppressive thoughts, freedom, or, or I should say calmness in the midst of chaos. And, and, and then on top of that, you are, are becoming or you are being an agent of harmony. You're being a peacemaker on top of that. How about long-suffering? You could describe it as patience. You could describe it as you being slow to speak and slow to anger. You you could talk about um, just that quiet willingness to accept irritating and painful situations. You're able to just hang in there, not lash out. And how about kindness? It's also part of the fruit of the Spirit. that's, That's you being merciful, tender. Or maybe having that eagerness to put others at ease. Another way to, to describe it is generosity and consideration toward others. And then, of course, you have goodness. You're generous and open hearted. Or you can say um, you, you have moral excellence, faithfulness. That just means you're dependable, loyal, the fruit of the Spirit. Gentleness, verse 23. Humble, calm, non-threatening, self-control. You, you, you behave yourself. You know how to behave well against such. There's, there's, no, law, there's no law against these because this, this is the fruit of the spirit. And I like how Pastor Chuck Smith describes it. He, he talks about love, this agape love, really being the, the fruit of the spirit. And then the rest of these qualities are descriptions of love. And you can reference 1 Corinthians 13. Or another way to look at it is you can see love as the core of the fruit, but it's the fruit of the spirit, not fruits. And so the fruit of the spirit, just going back to that, just, just that being on display on your life is, is an indication of spiritual growth. When some of that, some of us are leaving that spiritual growth on the table, not enjoying that because we we become too complacent in our walk. We've been hanging back a little too long, not enjoying these blessings or privileges, even emotional well-being or perhaps mental well-being. All of these things are privileges we have in Christ. Restoration within our lives and between other people or with other people we may be may have been at odds with freedom from sin that that's a fact that that's something that that happens when we repent and put our faith our trust in Christ we we become free from sin we're free from the penalty of sin we're not in bondage to it but in practice we have to live that way we have to act it out how about power? Of course, this will be power through the Holy Spirit. Some of us are not plugged in as we should be. Or yeah, the electricity is on because the Holy Spirit indwells us, but we're not plugged in. We're not tapping into the power of the Holy Spirit. We're, we're doing things in our own strength, in our own wisdom. But Some of these things we leave on the table. We're not enjoying because we're too complacent in our walk, we're too indifferent in our walk, we're hanging back in our walk. And so I want to play the part of Joab tonight and say, "Hey, come, come, come join this fight. Come get this new territory that you haven't been experiencing." But but you may ask, "How can we experience these new territories?" Well, one way is to know what's available to us in Christ. Know what is yours in Christ. Means you you need to crack open the pages of the scriptures of the Bible. But then as you read about it, you get to know it. And I would say by faith, accept that it's true. Reckon it to be so, in other words. That's a faith word, reckon. But then I would say, That we need to do our part to be in position to experience these new spiritual territories. What what do I mean by that? To be in position. That that is, our hearts need to be in in a position of humility. That's why I often say before we pray, let's bow our hearts. Your position of prayer doesn't matter physically. Physically. Whether you're standing or you're on your knees or you're laying prostrate face down on the floor or on the ground. But what is the position of your heart? Amen. Do you have a mind that is focused on the Lord? You know that many of us miss out on peace because our mind is not stayed on him. Remember that scripture? I will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on me, right? That's part of the position. So maybe some of us are not experiencing that new territory to us that is new to us that we haven't experienced before that, that, that new territory is peace because our, maybe our minds are not in position. They're not stayed on him. Maybe we're not surrounded by the right people, by godly people. Maybe we just, we just haven't been humbled. Maybe we just haven't been in a position of daily surrender. Lord, what is your will? What is your way? But then I will say this, to pursue it. Do like David did once he got the word. Once he got the word from Joab, he got up, he got involved. He pursued it. He pursued that new territory. In other words, he, he chased after it. He, he sought after it eagerly. He won. He was victorious. This new territory is his. And and that new spiritual territory in Christ, those those privileges, those blessings we have in Christ, though, those are things we could be enjoying today. So so we can pursue these things through specific prayers. There's general prayers and then there's supplications. Supplications are specific prayers. Reading and studying the word of God, we're, we're pursuing these things. We're, and then, of course, we're, we, we act upon what we've heard from the word of God. That is being active. That is pursuing the privileges and blessing that belong to us in Christ anyway. But, well, Pastor Durrell, you're saying all these things. It sounds so cool, but is there scripture reference? Yes, there is. is. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. He tells this young pastor to flee also youthful lust, but pursue... Righteousness, pursue faith, pursue love, pursue peace and those who with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. There's a new King James Version, The new living translation says, run from anything that stimulates youthful lust. Instead, pursue righteous living, pursue faithfulness. I mean, chase after it. Go get it. It's yours in Christ anyway. Go enjoy it. Go get it. Love, peace, enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. And so, yes, pursue these things, righteousness, faith, love, peace, pursue godliness, patience, gentleness. As it tells us in another scripture, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 says to pursue holiness. These are new territories for many of us. Before we came to Christ, that was not the territory that, that we enjoy holiness, patience, gentleness. Hosea 6.3 tells us to pursue knowledge of the Lord. Pursue getting to know God better by experience that belongs to you in Christ. Pursue it. Get after it. As many coaches say in football during drills, get after it. Pursue being filled with the Holy Spirit. That is to pursue being constantly filled with the Holy Spirit. Remember what it says in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18. Do do not be drunk with wine. Which is dissipation. It'll ruin you. It's a waste. But instead. Said. Said be constantly being filled with the Holy Spirit. That that is yours in Christ. Pursue that. You haven't experienced being filled with the Spirit? Pursue it. It belongs to you in Christ. As the worship team takes the stage, just want to encourage you to not be shy about experiencing those new spiritual territories in Christ. That is those territories that you're not, you're not making up stuff. I'm not talking about barking in the spirit and all that stuff. You know, we're not talking about that. That's that's crazy stuff. No, no, no. I'm talking about those territories that are biblical, but they may be new to your life spiritually, but they're in Christ. Right? So don't be shy about that. Why? Because they are yours. They belong to you in Christ. Amen. Father God, we thank you for allowing us to come together and study your word. We thank you for your grace and mercy. Thank you for all of these spiritual blessings we have in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. They belong to us. Help us, Lord, to get out of our comfort zone. Help us to snap out of complacency and indifference. Help us, Lord, to pursue those things that belong to us anyway, we want to enjoy as much as you want us to enjoy and experience on this side of heaven. We want to be all that you want us to be on this side of eternity. We want to do all that you called us to do on this side of eternity. And we want you to be glorified. You, the King of Kings, you, the Lord of Lords. We want you to be glorified at whatever is done in us and through us. And I pray, Father, if there's anyone under the sound of my voice who does not have a personal relationship with you through Christ Jesus, I pray that you would draw them to Jesus. For Jesus says, nobody can come to you, Father, except you draw him. The scriptures are plain that nobody can have a personal relationship with you, Father, except through Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. So if there's anyone who does not have a personal relationship with you, Lord, convict them, remove the spiritual blinders, draw them to you because you love them. You don't want to see anyone perish. And bless my brothers and sisters tonight. Encourage them, use them, stir up their hearts. Maybe some of them even need to stir up the gift that was spoken of in the scriptures. Well, they've been gifted, but not using the spiritual gift, whatever you allow them to use, Lord. And I just pray, Lord, that you would open up doors of ministry and witnessing this upcoming week and that you will equip us for your service, all for your glory.